This is the podcast of Redemption Bible Church, where applicational preaching is a distinctive of our church. For more information, log on to redemptionfw.org. Thanks for listening. All right, so we're going to dig into Hebrews chapter 1, uh, verses 1 through 4. So if you would pull out your Bibles, get to Hebrews 1, verses 1 through 4. So it reads, number number one, first one, one of those. There's a one there. God, after he spoke long ago to the fathers in the prophets in many portions and in many ways in these last days, has spoken to us in his son, whom he appointed heir of all things, through whom also he made the world. And he is the radiance of his glory and the exact representation of his nature, and upholds all things by the word of his power. When he had made purification of sins, he sat down at the right hand of the majesty on high, having become as much better than the angels, as he has inherited a more excellent name than they. Thanks, Brandon. Good morning, church. So I'm convinced that one of the most difficult, most frustrating things as a parent comes in about the two minutes before you're trying to leave wherever you have gone. So it happens every single time we go somewhere where someone comes up, one of the children at the end, and says, I don't know where my fill-in-the-blank is. And the blank is always something that is extremely important, like shoes or a coat or their homework or something along those lines. Like we go to grandma's house, and it's like you wore shoes here, you wore them outside to play, and now all of a sudden they've disappeared into the ether and no one can find them them. What in the world? So calmly, at least at first, you say, okay, I need you to go find your shoes. So their clearly smart answer is, okay, well, I'm going to go to the bathtub because that's where my, your shoes aren't in the bathtub. They're not in the bathtub. Okay. Well, you're right. They're probably not in the bathtub. Maybe they're in the oven. No, like kids are terrible at looking for things. Can, can I get an amen on that? They are awful at finding things. They look in all of the worst places. Like why in the world would you think your shoes are in the bathtub or the oven? And yet it's, these are real stories. This really happens. And inevitably it's going to go on for 20 minutes over and over and over until who comes to the rescue? Mom suddenly somehow finds them because she has the mom beacon for everything that's lost. Eventually they come back. Kids are really, really bad at finding things. They look in all of the wrong places, and we can be really bad at trying to know God as well, because we can often look in all of the wrong places. So the question for this morning, the question for really this Christmas season that we're asking is, where should we look to know God better? So the question for this morning, where should we look to know God? Where should we look to know God? So here's our big idea from this text of Hebrews this morning. When I look to Jesus, I will know God. When I look to Jesus, 
I will know God. And there's two truths about knowing God that we're going to look at this morning. Yes, I said only two. That's a two-point sermon. It doesn't mean you're getting out early. So don't get excited. God wants to be known is our first truth. God wants to be known. Let's let our eyes fall back on Hebrews chapter 1, verse 1. It says this, Long ago, at many times, and in many ways, God spoke to our fathers by the prophets. God has been on this agenda of being known since the beginning. God doesn't want to be distant and unknown to you. He wants to be known. If you have your Bibles, hold them up. Even if you got your fake Bibles, come on, get them up. Get them up in the air. This entire book in your hands is proof that God wants to be known. He wrote this book to speak to his people. Okay, you can put them down. God has spoken to his people since the beginning. Primarily here in the book of Hebrews, it's talking about God speaking to the nation of Israel. That's the our fathers in verse 1 through the prophets. So what does it look like to speak through the prophets? Well, who were the prophets? The prophets were a, a group of people God chose to use to communicate who he was to his people. They weren't some special group of people. In fact, if you are familiar with the prophets, many of them were anything but special. But they were God's chosen instruments for various reasons at various times that he saw fit. Prophets were the mouthpiece of God, we could say. So what was their job? Well, their job as the mouthpiece of God was to declare the message of God. To make known the God of the universe to the people that he wanted to make himself known to in the way that he wanted to make himself known in the time that he wanted to reveal that. So that's what they did. They declared the message of the God of God. And how did they do that? Well, the text here in Hebrews tells us two things. At many times and in many ways. At many times and in many ways. So many times God has used people to communicate his message from the very beginning. Adam communicated his message and Noah communicated his message and Abraham and Moses and etc, etc, etc. The mouthpieces of God were used all throughout the history of humanity. And in many ways, the text says, God spoke to, to, to the prophets in various ways. Daniel got dreams and visions. Moses got thunder and lightning. And we could give all kinds of different examples of how God communicated to the prophets. And he also communicated through the prophets in different ways, in different contexts. Amos gave direct commands from God. Malachi asked questions and gave answers. Haggai preached sermons. Zechariah performed these miraculous signs. And we could go on and on and on and talk about the prophets. But God used them in different ways, in different contexts. And he sent them to different places. Think Jonah to Nineveh. Or Daniel went to Babylon. And Moses went to Egypt. All different places for different reasons, for different things that he was trying to communicate himself. The point is this. It wasn't about the prophets and their abilities. God used all kinds of men with all kinds of gifts. It was about God communicating a message to who he wanted to communicate to. 
That's the through the prophets. But God has been on this agenda even before the prophets. Through creation, God has been communicating himself. Let your eyes fall on Romans 1. It's on the screen behind you. Romans 1 verse 18 says this. For the wrath of God is revealed from heaven against all ungodliness and unrighteousness of men who by their unrighteousness suppress the truth. For what can be known about God is plain to them because God has shown it to them for his invisible attributes, namely his eternal power and divine nature have been clearly perceived ever since the creation of the world in the things that have been made. So they are without excuse. God's creation makes him known to everyone. This is what we call in theological circles, general revelation. Everyone knows that God exists. In their heart of hearts, the atheist knows that God exists. They just willingly and willfully suppress the truth in unrighteousness, Romans 1 says. John Calvin described it this way. He says, there is within the human mind and indeed by natural instinct an awareness of divinity. This we take to be beyond controversy to prevent anyone from taking refuge in the pretense of ignorance. God himself has implanted in all men a certain understanding of his divine majesty. Everyone knows that God exists and creation is declaring it over and over and over. Psalm 19 says this, the heavens declare the glory of God and the sky above proclaims his handiwork. But as we already saw through the prophets, it's not just this general knowledge or revelation that God wants people to know. He wants people to know a specific or a special revelation The prophets and the apostles recorded what God directly wanted people to know. That's this book that you held over your head a minute ago. God wants to be known not just generally, but specifically. See, uh, I have a general understanding of what my heart does. It pumps blood and keeps me alive. That's about what I got. And... I don't think about it often, but when I do, I'm pretty grateful for the fact that it's beating and it's doing what it's supposed to do. Uh, That's a good thing. It would be foolish for me to start asserting that my heart isn't doing what my heart was designed to do. That would just be foolish because all of the medical evidence points to the fact that my heart is in fact beating and that does in fact keep me alive. So that's kind of like general revelation. I have a general understanding of what my heart does. My wife, Angela, on the other hand, is a cardiac nurse. And so she understands the details of what the heart does and what it should be doing and what it isn't doing at specific times and how to help fix that with medications and surgeries and all of that. She has a deeper, more fuller understanding of what the heart does. She thinks about it more often. And in fact, we make decisions, and I say we make decisions based on her knowledge of heart health. So we don't maybe eat as much of certain things or other things that might be delicious. I'm not bitter. Um, Because of her understanding of heart health, her knowledge of the heart leads to living differently because she has a deeper, fuller understanding. This is like special revelation. 
And from the beginning, that was the plan. That all of mankind would more intimately, more specially know their God. Think back to the Garden of Eden. God was to dwell with his people. He did dwell with his people. He walked with them and he talked with them and they knew more about him and experienced him in a different way. And do you know that that's still what you long for? We long to know God. We long for things to be back to the way that they once were in the Garden of Eden. We long for things to be back the way they were before sin messed it all up. And praise God, they will be. We will return back to a place where we will be face to face with God for eternity. And that will be amazing. And yet that longing for that future still exists in the here and now. This is the beauty and the wonder of the incarnation of God becoming man. Because God took the step to fix what we broke. God moved in order to satisfy our deepest longing, the longing to see him and to be with him. God took the steps to fix that. Are we longing to be with Jesus? Do we really long for that time when we will be with Jesus? John Piper asked that question this way. If you could have heaven with no sickness and with all the friends you ever had on earth and all the food you ever liked and all the leisure activities you ever enjoyed and all the natural beauties you ever saw, all the physical pleasures you ever tasted and no human conflict or any natural disasters, could you ever be satisfied with heaven if Christ were not there? See, I think we want this broken world to be restored, and it will be a good thing when it's restored. But if God just put the broken world back together and we weren't with him, we would still have a longing that would need to be satisfied because Jesus Christ is the only thing that satisfies that desire of our hearts. Him and him alone. Are you in passionate pursuit of knowing God more through Jesus Christ? In the here and now? What evidence in your life would support your answer? Where do we go to learn more about God? Do we go to, to Google or to blogs or to Facebook or Instagram? Those things are not bad necessarily in and of themselves, but God wrote a book to reveal himself to us, and this is where we should be pursuing knowing him deeper. Are we doing that? Because I'm telling you, you have this longing in your heart, whether you acknowledge it or not. And that longing can only be filled with Jesus Christ, him and him alone. God wants to be known. The natural outworking of that is he wants you to know him. So we're looking at two truths about knowing God. The first, God wants to be known. And the second is this, Jesus is the ultimate way that God has made himself known. Jesus is the ultimate way that God has made himself known. 
I recently read a story about an unbeliever who was sitting around and thinking about the impossibility of knowing God. His thinking that God is creator God, created us in a way that would be similar to an author creating a character. And he thought that that put a gap between the author and the character itself. So men couldn't possibly know their creator, just like Hamlet didn't know that Shakespeare wrote him or created him. But as he thought further, he realized that the analogy actually suggested the exact opposite of that. Shakespeare, if he wanted to, could write himself into that story. Hamlet could know who Shakespeare was because Shakespeare could make himself a character and dialogue with Hamlet. And all the while, Hamlet would know who Shakespeare was. Shakespeare could make himself the hero of the story, and that's how Hamlet would respond. And this is the reason that Jesus is the ultimate way God makes himself known. Because God didn't just see the broken relationship and write somebody else into the story, another character to fix it. He wrote himself into the story. Jesus is the hero of the story. See, Jesus is far better than the prophets were because the prophets communicated a message that they were given about a God that they only knew in part. They only knew what God had said. Jesus was, in fact, God of very God, and he knew all that needed to be communicated because he was the God that he was communicating. Al Mohler said it this way, the Old Testament is a story in need of a conclusion, a messianic conclusion. The fathers and the prophets indeed spoke the word of God, but that word was not the final word. Leave a finger here in Hebrews and flip over to John chapter 1. Flip over to John chapter 1. John chapter 1, starting in verse 1, says this. In the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. He was in the beginning with God. All things were made through Him, and without Him was not anything made that was made. In Him was life, and the life was the light of men. The light shines in the darkness, and the darkness has not overcome it. Let your eyes fall then on verse 14 of John 1. It says this, And the word became flesh and dwelt among us, and we have seen his glory, glory as of the only Son from the Father, full of grace and truth. Jesus was the word. He wasn't just communicating the word. He was, in fact, the word. All that Jesus is, is not contained here because Jesus is actually bigger than this. He is holier. He is mightier. He is grander than anything that could ever be contained within the words of scripture. In fact, it's how John ends his gospel. That words could not contain. 
Kent Hughes said it this way. He said, this amazing eloquence of God is substantially the same as that described in the chain of thought in John 1, which begins in the beginning was the word and the word was with God and the word was God. Jesus here, of course, is the word. And though much more can be said about this term because of its rich history in Greek literature, its main significance here is that Christ has always sought to reveal himself. Christ has always sought to reveal himself. An interpretive paraphrase could well read, in the beginning was the communication. From eternity, Christ as the word has always longed to communicate himself. Jesus is the God who the prophets only knew in part. Jesus is the God who wants to be known. He is the God who has been seeking to make himself known from the beginning. Everything that Jesus said, everything that Jesus did, put God on display in the fullest way it had ever been displayed. He is the word. He doesn't just speak the words of another. He is the word. Jesus is better than the prophets. He's better than the prophets. He's also better than the angels. Flip back over to Hebrews chapter 1. Let your eyes fall on verse 4. Yes, I said verse 4. I know we haven't covered 2 and 3. We'll get there, those of you who are OCD. But look at verse 4. Having become as much superior to angels as the name he has inherited is more excellent than theirs. The very angels who announced the birth of Jesus to the shepherds are inferior to him. We love to read that story and think about that story. And we can even be tempted to marvel at the angels because they're these angelic heavenly beings. And yet the word angel literally means messenger. They weren't there to tell everybody about themselves. They weren't there to make the spectacle about them. They were there to declare Jesus to the world, to make God known. That was their job. So Jesus inherently has to be better than the angels because they're declaring him. So why is Jesus so much better than the prophets that God chose and the angels? Why? Let your eyes fall back on verse 2. It says this, But in these last days, he has spoken to us by his son. Why is he so much better? Because he's son. The Greek here is simply in son, and it emphasizes that the person of the son contains everything of the father. The Son is the fullest, most complete revelation of the Father possible since he shares the Father's divine nature as the second member of the Trinity. Al Mohler said it this way, Jesus is the conclusion to an already existing story found in the Old Testament. Yet in another sense, God's revelation through his son is new. The gospel story is the long-awaited conclusion that fulfills all promises and realizes all types and shadows of the Old Testament. So when we want to know our God, church, where should we look? We should look at Jesus. He is the most complete revelation of God to us. This is what the author of Hebrews is saying. 
He's saying, look at Jesus. He is the fullest, most representation, uh, best representation of God that you will ever see. So for this last part of the sermon, what I'd like to do is just spend some time gazing at Jesus together. Because I want to know God more deeply. I want to see him more fully. And I'm convinced that this is how we do it. So this is what the author of Hebrews does. So let's keep marching forward. Let's look to Jesus together this morning, church. So let your eyes fall back on verse 2. But in these last days, he has spoken to us by his son, whom he appointed the heir of all things. In traditional Hellenistic Judaism, which is the context of the book of Hebrews, to be an heir was to be someone who was invested with everything of their father. In other words, if you were doing business with the son, it was like you were doing business with the father. It was one in the same. The son had been given full authority to act on behalf of the father and make decisions as if he was, in fact, the father himself. There is literally nothing that Jesus has not been given authority over because the Father has authority over all. It's a little bit like our understanding of like a power of attorney. You can make decisions on behalf of someone, health decisions, financial decisions, etc. But it's even a step further than that because most of the time a power of attorney kicks in when the father is incapacitated or the person is incapacitated in some way. This actually allows the son to make decisions on behalf of the father when he's perfectly able to make them himself. Jesus has authority over absolutely everything. Are you struggling with who has authority over you? Maybe that's the government. Maybe it's a boss or a coworker or maybe your spouse or some other leader in your life. You know who they don't have authority over? Jesus. You know that nothing that they are doing to you is outside of the authority of Jesus. Jesus is in control. Nothing that they can do to you is happening outside of that control. Because he is the heir of all things. Let's continue reading on, picking up in verse 2. To whom he appointed the heir of all things, through whom also he created the world. Jesus has eternality. He didn't just burst onto the scene after humanity messed it up. He's always been around. He's always been active in creation from the start. He has been working the plan from the time the plan started to be worked. Jesus isn't plan B. Jesus has the full power to create and thus the full power to define what creation is. So no media source, no political party, no church with bad theology, no president or Supreme Court or king or ruler or anyone can redefine God's creation because Jesus already did it. They aren't that powerful. But Jesus is. 
Al Mohler said, the power to create is also the power to preserve, the power to control, and the power to bring to an end. Hebrews tells us the Son possesses that kind of power. Praise the Lord for that. He's creator. He's the radiance of the glory of God. Verse 3 says, the radiance of the glory of God. What is radiance? It's the splendor or intense brightness. Christ is the fullest representation of the glory of God. And he is the exact imprint of his nature. Imprint is literally the impression made on a coin. So there's a stamp, it stamps down, and it stamps exactly what's on the stamp into impress a coin. That's what's going on here. Jesus is the exact expression of the nature of God. He reflects the Father both in work and in character. Jesus is displaying the sovereign plan of a sovereign father. That's what he does. He is the exact imprint of his nature. Let's read on. And he upholds the universe by the word of his power. Consider that, church. He sustains everything with a word. If Jesus were to stop thinking of the world for even a fraction of a second, it would fly out of control. There is nothing that falls outside of Jesus sustaining power. Nothing is slipping by him. Nothing is getting by because he is actively engaged in holding the world together with a word. He knows intimately how it's created, and he knows all that it needs to hold together. And he doesn't just know it. He's active in it. It's not some passive, back-of-the-mind thing that's happening for Jesus. It's a present thought of how he is holding the world together. So I'm here to tell you this morning, church, that when the world seems like it's falling apart, it isn't. It's right where God wants it. We may not know why, but I know what Hebrews 1 says. It says that Jesus upholds the universe with a word. When your life seems like it might be out of control, it's not. It might be out of your control. But it isn't out of the control of Jesus Christ. He upholds the universe with a word. And newsflash, you're in the universe. Jesus will not be thwarted. His purposes cannot be shaken. He is the almighty, the all-powerful, the all-knowing, the all-present God. No country is going to stop his plan. No leader is going to mess up what he wants. No disease is ever going to stop it. No law or mandate or Supreme Court decision is ever, are ever going to stop the plans of God. Jesus is so much more in control than we will ever actually give him credit for. 
and he will not be stopped. So maybe this morning you're doubting the heart of a God with so much strength. Maybe that's you. So just in case you were doubting the heart of a God with so much strength, we get this in Hebrews chapter 3. After making purifications for sins, he sat down at the right hand of the majesty on high. If you're worried about a God with that much power, how can we trust him? Because Jesus dealt with your greatest need. What was your greatest need? Your sinfulness. He has dealt with the problem that is keeping you from God, and that is your sin. And how did he do it? By his own sacrifice, by shedding his own blood, by dying on a cross brutally for your sin. He died so you wouldn't have to. So are you worried about a God with that much power? You shouldn't be. Because he has demonstrated by the shedding of his own blood that he's for you. By giving of himself to sacrifice for you. This is the beauty of the incarnation of Jesus, church. The beauty of God becoming man. God of very God put on human flesh to live a life that I could not live myself. He never diminished his deity or his goodness, and yet he walked this sinful earth, and then he died brutally on a cross for you. And then he rose victorious over the grave and ascended into heaven. And now he sits victoriously at the right hand of the Father. And all of this was done so that God would be known. And when he was known, that we would worship. This is why we celebrate Christmas. This is why we marvel at an infant child. Because God of very God became man so that we could see God more fully. Jesus is the best prophet. He is the best one at revealing God to us. And so my hope for us this Christmas season is that we would look to Jesus it's so easy in the hustle and the bustle of everything that happens in the month of December. All of these things tend to want to pull us away from the thing that we should be pursuing to remember as we celebrate Christmas. And that is the person and work of Jesus Christ. So let's not forget that this Christmas. Let's look to Jesus Let's remember who he is. Let's see him more fully. Let's see his heart to us and towards us. I'm going to pray and ask the Lord to help us with that. God, we need to acknowledge that we have this longing to see you more deeply. 
And so often we don't even acknowledge that that's the, the deepest longing that we have. And so we try to fill it up with all of these other things. And this is most passionately, most in front of our faces shown in the, in the month of December where all of these things pull of our attention when our deepest longing is really to just gaze at Jesus and we miss it. We can be pulled away even by really good things of family gatherings and time with friends and traditions and all of these things. They aren't bad in and of themselves, but they can pull us away from looking at Jesus. God, would you protect us from that in this month of December? Would you not let those things creep up and act like they're the main thing? But would those things help more deeply push us Help us see more fully Jesus. And we know that's got to be a work of your spirit in our hearts because we're such fickle people who get pulled in so many different directions so easily. So would you help us in that? Help us make this Christmas season more about Jesus than it is about anything else that we would proclaim him, that we would look at him, that we would marvel at the beauty and the wonder of the incarnation. It's an amazing truth to marvel at. It's so easy for us to miss as we pursue all these other things. So help us in that. Help us look at Jesus. Help us look to Jesus to be the only one who can satisfy the deepest longings of our heart because he is. And he's so much better than all the other things that we chase after. Would you help us marvel at that this Christmas? That's our prayer. We ask it in the precious name of Jesus. Amen. Thanks, church. Have a great week. You are loved.